Hi, and welcome to Strangers on the Internet, a podcast about making online dating work for you. My name is Irina Manta, and I'm a professor at the Maurice A. Dean School of Law at Hofstra University. I'm also a dating coach and a consultant for the dating app industry. And I'm Michelle Lang, a senior lecturer in psychology at Christopher Newport University in Virginia and a clinical psychologist in private practice. All views expressed in this podcast are our own and not our employers. In this episode, we return for part two of our interview with best-selling author, award-winning journalist, filmmaker, and producer Nancy Jo Sales. We had left off part one with Nancy Jo explaining why she thinks dating apps turn straight men more callous, and how the Hinge app started off with good intentions, but then later became just another dating app, and one that ultimately, like so many others, was sold to Match Group. Today, we start off with why it's so tricky to get independent data regarding dating app use, and what the actual roots are of our current dating app culture. I want to pick up on a, on a few things uh, that you've said. First, I want to tell you now what ended up happening and how I got banned from Match Group, which is that <laughs> I was honest about the fact that I am on the apps um, at this point, well, this happened last year, for research because I am married. I, I am actually one of the you know few people that's married to someone from the apps, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, but I, I said on there, I am monogamously married. I am just here for research. Uh, it took them about six months, but they kicked me out after that. And I know, I know that uh, that I am in their database. As which app was it? I am banned from all of them because I am literally an. I was on Tinder for the same reason, for the same reason you go on sometimes to look at the features. I was on Tinder. I was on Match, um, and I think I was on OkCupid. So those were the three that I think I was on when this happened. And so someone must have complained, even though I wasn't really talking to people. I talked to like a few people, but I wasn't collecting any user like profile data. I wasn't doing anything like that. And so I am in the match group database and I have this on good authority. I am in there as having violated the terms and conditions. Now I am an academic that writes about dating apps and cannot get access without lying uh, to, to that information. So I hear you loud and clear on the need for independent research and who's sort of standing in the way of, of that. But, you know, there are so many interesting things you said. So first of all, on the fuck boys, you've also talked specifically about soft boys uh, in, in an interview uh, who are fuck boys, but who talk about their feelings and are ethically non-monogamous and all that jazz. Um, and so here is one, one place where I, I want to I wanna go, uh, which is that do you think a lot of straight men, especially perhaps in cities like New York, where you and I live, don't see the value in monogamy or relationships uh, generally now that women don't just want to like cook and clean and be generally subdued uh, for them. And how do we show straight men who have been, like you say in so much of your work, who have been these straight men who have been watching porn since they were teenagers, how do we show them that there is value in female companionship when many of them have such a dehumanizing view of women? You know, a lot of this which I also discuss in Nothing Personal, is not just about the apps. Like I said, the apps grew out of a culture. They were started by these, for the most part, you know, white frat boys, literally white frat boys. Sean Rad was a frat boy. His, his colleagues were. And they were frat culture has been written about 
for decades as a kind of seat of rape culture, right? And I say, I think dating apps are rape culture. These products are designed by people. You know, now they're talking about AI and how it has bi- racist biases. Well, so do so do dating apps. They were they were designed and engineered mostly by white men in Silicon Valley, which is a very sexist culture. It's been written about a lot. I'm not the only person to say it. Emily Chan wrote a great book, Brotopia, about that. So, so there's these sexist guys making these sexist apps in the middle of a sexist culture. So you have to look at not just what the apps are, but what it rose out of, right? So it rose out of frat boy culture because these were literally frat boys. It rose out of the, the sexist culture of Silicon Valley, but it also rose out of sexist American culture, which these young men grew up in, which they came of age at a time of intense backlash against feminism. They came of age in the 2000s when, you know, that was when you had shows like Californication and Entourage and you had, you know, which were glorification of being a player. Entourage was for 20-somethings and Californication was for 40-somethings. It was just like being a playa is cool, playa, P-L-A-Y-A, you know, and that was part of the kind of messages in, in some of hip-hop, which white boys appropriated very happily to uh, justify their callousness and their disrespect of women. So this is this is the atmosphere in which this all came about. So that's why it's frustrating when maybe an editor at the New York Times or whatever, who's like a 60-year-old man who came of age at a different time, is probably sexist himself for lots of other reasons, but really just sees this, and I get this a lot, like I hear this from older guys, baby boomer guys a lot, like that sounds like fun. What's wrong with that? And doesn't perhaps know or want to know, which we've known since the beginning, that women in particular are, and I'm going to go to what how men talk to me about this too in a second, because I think that is important to say. Women are in particular are experiencing harassment, dick pics, all, you know, being asked for nudes immediately, being non-consensually asked for nudes, non-consensually sent nudes. They don't know that. And they don't want to know that because they want to think that this magical technology made by these magical, you know, young guys, entrepreneurs in shiny Silicon Valley is just going to be real fun for the kids. And then I think like that gets, you know, the marketing of it, the marketing of it too, which is so powerful from these apps gets communicated to young people. And they think like, yeah, I'm supposed to like this stuff because it's easy and cool and fun. Right. But after 10 years, they know it's not fun. And are we dating the same guy is a lot about protection. It's not just about grousing about, it's really about, it's a really like, it's out there in the open in a way, but it's really kind of a a whisper network, the kind of whisper network that has always existed for women to warn us off of guys who will, in in the modern age, catfish us, try and take our money, uh, have multiple other women sleep around, have kids. I saw one of the most dramatic threads I saw on Are We Dating the Same Guy in New York, which is like, if you want, it's better than any Netflix show. (laughs) Are We Dating the Same Guy in New York? I mean, you can sit there and read it at night and just like your jaw just drops like the things. And then the women know the guy and they say, oh yeah, he did that to me too. 
it's a very me too kind of thing. So um, I saw this one thread where this man, very good looking 30 something guy, he had four kids, four kids. He looks like, you know, your typical hipster. You'd go on a date from Tinder. And it was confirmed through all these women who were noticing it saying, oh my God, he has four kids. I know him. I know his wife. And so there were, then there was a big, are we dating the same guy is, has been kind of, you know, people have treated it dismissively also to be like, oh, a bunch of, I heard, I saw a stand-up male stand-up comedian talking about, oh, just a bunch of bitches whining and complaining. But no, they have these very interesting conversations about ethics sometimes. Like, what do we do? Do we tell her? Should she know? Should we tell her anonymously? Would you want to know? Would I want to know? So, I mean, it's really interesting from that perspective. I'm sorry you got kicked off these apps. It's ridiculous. I don't know. They should not have kicked you off. They should be open to in- what What's so threatening about having someone on there? If, if everything's great, if it's just working out fine for everybody and nobody's going to be, uh, you know, verbally uh, abused or sent a dick pic or anything, if it's all fine and dandy, what's wrong with having a woman on there to do research? What is wrong with that? I don't. They all prohibit that. They all do. Yeah, of course they do. Of course they do because they don't like, I mean, you look at the, the time, there's a lot of backlash now against dating apps. After 10 years, it's, there's memes about, like, it's a, t- a constant topic of conversation among young people, how much they suck. There's memes about them constantly. They're standard fare for stand-up comedians, how dating apps suck and dating app culture sucks. And male comedians too, you know, and when I hear, I was going to, Again, sorry for being discursive, but I, I wanted to answer also what I hear from guys on these apps. I hear from a lot of incels. Men who are straight and doing well on these apps, they generally don't get the critique because why should they? What's wrong with them? <laughs> you know, They're like, but I found my girlfriend. You know, you did because it's your choice, because you chose to have a girlfriend on an app and it's your choice as the man to do it because that's the kind of sexist shit that these apps have reified is that it is your choice. So if you are a straight man, even reasonably attractive, you and you really and you want sex, you can go on there and get sex. You want a girlfriend, you can go on there and get a girlfriend. It's really put choice so much in the hands of straight men in their relationships with straight women because they have so much choice. So it's not like they have to decide, gee, is she the love of my life? Well, hmm. Maybe she is, maybe she isn't. But in the meantime, I want to play the field. And that's one of the things that women on Are We Dating the Same Guy complain about the most is when men say, I just want to see what happens. I just want to go with the flow. I just want to, you know, like that's code for I want to do what I want all the time because these apps allow me to and make it easier for me to. Okay, so here's what I hear. So what I hear from guys who do well on them is like, I don't see the problem. (laughs) What's the problem? (laughs) Because of course, I mean, sometimes they'll kind of agree that like, yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of gross that like, we're all just, you know, it's kind of weird, but I mean, the things you read my book, nothing personal. So, you know, the things that they tell me is like, they also get mad at women. This also plays into this whole, real deep misogyny that exists out there. They get mad at women for being quote too easy. Like, well, I'm not going to be her girlfriend. If I meet her on Tinder, I'm not going to, she's not going to be my girlfriend. You don't go on Tinder to meet a girlfriend. 
you're on Tinder, you're sleeping around. Body count? Who would have thought that in 2022 that body count, which is what they call it now, how many people you've slept with, would be a thing? But it is. And it, it there's all kinds of, you know, little interviews that are going around, memes and TikTok and whatnot about it. It's the most ridiculous thing. But guys, not all guys, but a lot of guys are still upset about that, you know. I would say it's changing somewhat with Gen Z. But Gen Z, what's happening a lot with Gen Z is they're just opting out. They're just like, this is too gross. This is too sick. I'm not doing it. Because Gen Z is the reaction too. They are just... They're just saying, no, I, that is, that is too weird, gross, upsetting, demeaning, degrading, just not doing that. But because the companies have overwhelmed dating so that you can't like even approach somebody anymore, any other way, they're just not dating as much. They're not having as much sex. And this is in the social survey, even the general social survey said less sex, less relationships, less marriage, but less sex. And I really think that's because people are just on these apps. They're masturbating to porn. They're masturbating to the nudes that they get from people on the apps. They're masturbating. They're lonely. They're in their room. They're on the screen. And that's what is happening. And that's what Helen Fisher said, that I don't know what I'm talking about, about, about how the apps just want us to get addicted to the apps. But that is their business model. Here's what incels tell me. So every now and then I get email from an incel. And I do mean an incel, like we're talking actual insults. And I can tell because of things they say and so forth. And they use the terminology. And they generally start out very angry at me. Because even though I'm criticizing dating apps, they feel that it's unfair of me to take the side of women. And it's unfair of me to talk about how women are being mistreated on these apps, because the, these incels say they're being mistreated too because the women aren't sleeping with them and they're supposed to because what are they on the apps for? You know, and so we get into these uh, conversations sometimes about this stuff and I try and get them to see how I understand their critique, but it's not the women's fault for not having sex with them. Oh, but it is because they'll only sleep with this good looking guys. Now, they're not totally wrong about one thing, which is that the algorithms on these apps typically favor good-looking people to match with other good-looking people, to favor white people to match with other white people. They're very, like, lookist and racist. And there's a deep study by Cornell in 2018, you can look into it, it talks about the racism. But it's also about the level of attractiveness. So that's why when... These apps often like to say, well, it's just like a bar, but it's, you know, you, you're, it's no different than if you walk into a bar. It's absolutely different. There's no comparison whatsoever. It's only a bar if there was a bar where there's a bouncer, that the bouncer is the algorithm. And this algorithm says, you go over there and sit with him. You go over there and sit with him. White person, you go over and sit with that white person. Good looking guy, you go over and sit with that hot girl. Ugly guy, you go over and sit with those, that girl that's maybe not considered as attractive. It's a five, you know, like that whole rating system is so disgusting. So to an incel, and I write about this in my Nothing Personal book, I think this is making them more incel-y. It's making them hate women even more because they don't see the, they don't see how this is all constructed to serve 
basically the white guys, guys like the the good looking white guys who made it. It's made it's it's biased against them as well for not fit. It's kind of there's something there's an element of it that's almost like and forgive me for sounding uh, if I sound extreme, but it's almost like fascistic to me in a way. I think a lot of social media promotes fascistic tendencies in our in our society. And that's one of them because it's like, it's like survival of the fittest, you know, like it, it separates people into notions of who is or is not more acceptable or more desirable. And women who are fat also, you know, have more trouble on these apps. Women who are women of color, there's, there's a lot of ways in which the whole LGBTQ discussion about around dating apps is a little more complicated because there there are LGBTQ people. They talk in my film about how yeah, it's it's made it easier to meet someone, especially like in a in a remote area or rural area where it might even be dangerous to walk into a bar as a gay person and strike up a conversation with someone and flirt with someone. So that I get as a del- as like just a pure like delivery system of a person for a specific group. That makes sense. I get that. But then what happens after that, you know, people are people, whether they're gay, straight or or whatever, it still has the same effect on people in terms of the addiction, in terms of the overwhelming multiplicity of options. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the most crushing moments for me in the film is when a young gay man talks about how this mobile dating has really ruined gay culture in terms of the nightclubs because the, like we went into shot in nightclubs and everybody was on their phones instead of like talking to each other and dancing. And he said, this young man said like, I'll go somewhere and I'll think someone's attractive, but I'll just go on my phone to see if he's on my phone, not go up to them in person. You, There's a guy in my film that says, if you called someone today, you'd be labeled a psychopath. So they're changing the way we talk to each other, treat each other in, in the most intimate of, of spaces. And it's corporate control. And I think it's dangerous. Let me just say why it's dangerous. Just not leave it. It's dangerous because we could lose those parts of ourselves that we have evolved over many, many years to have as useful tools, like how to flirt, how to talk to someone that you're attracted to. You know, these, these social tools that we have young people don't utilize them, they will go away. And then we will furthermore need these apps, need this technology to even meet someone. And I think that's kind of scary. But you also made a comment that makes me at least a little bit hopeful, which is you said that you're seeing Gen Z opting out of some of this. And and so, look, if Gen Z is going to opt out of the dating apps, the dating apps aren't going to go down without a fight. I mean, this is obviously money for them. This is a business for them. And so if they have to fight for their relevance, if they have to, they will. And so I'm wondering if maybe there is some hope in change if there's collective social action demanding it. And so I I do see some hope there. I wanted to specifically ask you about a couple of points you you have mentioned. So one is you said, so I don't want to make it sound like Gen Z doesn't use dating apps. They do. I just see a trend of them turning away from them, of them turning away from technology in general. In fact, there's a article in the New York times today, I think, or yesterday about 
how there's now Luddite clubs. I mean, it's Gen Z makes fun of everything and they joke about everything. So it's kind of like a joke, but it's like a self deprecating joke. Ironic humor. They, they're turning away from their phones. They say, we don't care about your likes, which is so great because my book, American Girls in 2016, one of the quotes that stands out for me is a, a girl saying, it's all about the likes. Everything is about the likes. And she was saying it derisively that she hated the way that everything was about the likes. Well, now, six years later, apparently we have 14 and 15 year olds saying like, I don't need your likes. And it, it made me hopeful, but I don't think it's like, all kids, you know, I think it's just one of these nascent trends that is hopeful and hopefully will will grow. And it is there though. And I do think that it's with dating apps as well. My daughter, who's 22, she and her friends, I mean, her mom is a critique of this culture, but even her friends, they're not on dating apps. They're not doing dating apps. Um, I do think that Gen Z is turning away from these platforms and, and trying to figure out their own ways but I don't, I, I don't think it's like, you know, the death knell of dating apps yet. I think there's going to be there for a while. But I do think that eventually they'll go away. I do. I think that one day we'll look back on this like, what the hell were we thinking? This is not a good way to run dating. Dating is broken. You hear that over and over and over. It's so interesting to hear you say that because Irina and I are both fans of the dating apps. We both met our current partner on the apps. We acknowledge that there are significant problems as well. But I know for me, I'll speak for myself. You know, I really am hopeful that they will find a way to evolve appropriately and to make it a more healthy sort of thing. So you had said in a Vox interview shortly after Nothing Personal came out in 2021, that you hope at some point in the future, we will realize that our current times were a dark age and a period of acceptable and normalized brutality that encouraged things that are completely at odds with our health, our well-being, and our humanity. You've also said education needs to play a role in moving forward from this. So now we have your books, your articles, your documentary, and there's also, as you said, lots of other writing being done on this and lots of data now being produced that, that people can look at. And so there is no more, more information. Data. There's some data now. There's some data and we're moving in the direction of, of more. Um, so there's some education or at least some data that presents the potential for education out there. What thoughts do you have on what, what would be most helpful to bring us out of this dark age? When I say it's a dark age, what I mean is that if you have, if you have um, a realm of dating where dating isn't that old. It's only been around like a little over a hundred years dating as we know it. And, um, it was never perfect. And it was, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been alive for 60, almost 60 of those almost hundred, a hundred and something years that dating has been around. And I've been dating for a long time. And so I know very well that it was never perfect. And that there was always rape and, sexual assault and all these things. But I can tell you as someone who not only was there, but also has studied it, that it was supposed to be fun. I have a good friend named Maisha Battle. She's a great, she's a great, uh, uh, she's like a sex coach and she writes about dating expert and, and like sex life expert and coach and all that. I don't, I don't want to get her moniker wrong, but She's wonderful. And she just has a book coming out. If it didn't already come out, it's about to come out called 
This is supposed to be fun. And the re- I think that's a great title. And I think the reason she took that title is because it's at odds with how dating feels to most people now. You know, it's, um, it's not fun. And when I say dark, darkness, dark age, it's not just that it's not fun. It's, um, it can feel very abusive. It can feel for, to a lot of people exhausting. It can feel, because this is like this corporate expectation for people to do their labor and do their swiping and do their matching and do their message. Come on, we need more. We need more. Here's some more dopamine. More, 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 more. And people are exhausted. And, you know, I've asked women, like, how many dick pics do you think you've gotten non-consensually? And they don't even know the number. I mean, even to get one is like, they just become so numb to it, I think, because you have to. But I remember I got one. I've gotten a few. And the first time I got one, it was maybe 2014 or something. I felt like I was going to throw up. And it's not because I don't like dicks. I do like dicks. I just didn't want to see this man that I barely knew know his dick just coming at me on my phone. It felt like I'd been sexually assaulted. And I do think it's a kind of virtual assault. And so is that dark? Yes, that is dark. That is dark that people are doing that to each other. It's dark that they're ghosting each other. It's dark that they're, you know, just acting like they're things to be delivered to their house to have sex with. It's dark and it's gross. And I think a lot of people are going to turn away from it eventually, are turning away from it. And I think it'll take a while because, you know, and there are people like you have met their their spouses. And I, I, I absolutely know that that happens. And I, you know, congratulations. Like a broken clock is right twice a day, one, two. So, I mean, you know, that's great. But just like, would you say then, and I know you're, I know, I mean, this is a rhetorical question just based on what you've been saying to me. Would you say then to women who are not married and have been on dating apps, maybe sometimes for years now, well, you're just not doing it right. You just need to change your profile picture. Or you just need to have different messages. You know, I'm married and I found my husband on dating app. So my life is great. So here's what you do. Would you do that to women? Do you think that that would be appropriate or fair or even, I mean, because a lot of women do feel that that's what they get when. And Michelle and I do try to basically help people make the best of it, I would say. So we do think, yes, here are things you can do to increase your odds, et cetera. But I completely agree. At the end of the day, there is a lot of luck involved. And also sort of the point, like the the things it took to get there. And, and it, what you were mentioning about how the, this dick pic you got made you want to throw up. The, the most sort of notorious dick pic I remember receiving is after I told somebody who was acting all kinds of strange ways that I don't want to talk to him anymore. And that's when I woke up to a, and he was a filmmaker. So I think he also thought of himself as kind of artistic in the way he presented the piece, shall we say. Um, And that's where I got sent that picture, which was just so, I mean, it's everything you're saying, right? Because it was a power move. It was not about something he thought. It's not like he thought, oh, well, once she sees that, she's going to change her mind about me. No, it was completely about power and about misogyny and about, you know, I am still 
going to try to dominate you in this last way. It's become normalized. This is like a normal part of most young women's life and older women too. And it shouldn't be, you know, that's my whole, it just shouldn't be. And we shouldn't have this happen. And there are ways for them to stop it, but they don't. The dating apps could stop this, but they don't. They could kick people off who send dick pics and get reported, but they don't because it's all about engagement. They could block them. They they use at one point, I, I think it was Tinder. I'm not sure. It was one of the dating apps had a thing where it's like they're putting up right before a, di a dick pic was to be sent. It was, was it Tinder? They had a, a screen that said, are you sure you want to send that? Somebody who's about to do that is that's not going to stop him. You know, it's not going to stop him. That is like way too polite to him. It should just be like when you see the dick pic coming up, it's like, okay, he's blocked, can't be on this app ever again forever. He's banned. But they don't do that. And so I think you're saying like, well, we found our husbands on Tinder or whatever on dating apps, so that's great. And we're going to help other women get that. Well, I'm not trying to judge you or those women who are trying to find a relationship on these apps. I'm saying the apps are not designed for that, really. They're not, I mean, if you found someone, that's great, but they're not designed for that. And I take issue with yeah. the way that they yeah. don't protect their users from these really egregious harms that are happening to them on a daily, hourly, minute by minute basis every single day for everyone who uses these apps all over the world. And they do nothing. And the reason they do nothing is because they don't have to. And because uh, like a lot of this horrible behavior, again, has become normalized and people just take it and accept it. But what does that do to women? What does that do to the standing and respect that women have in our society that they are to be the objects of dick pics? And that's okay because the dating apps don't stop it. You know, I, I just think it's um, when you have a company, you can't think about like all the people are happy on the company, you have to think about all the people who are unhappy. That's how you be responsible. That's how you be a benign entity. That's how you help people is by protecting them from harm. And the harms can be great, including rape and murder. I mean, that's not an extreme statement. There have been, you know, just all you got to do is Google it. Google dating apps, rape. Google dating apps, murder. Google dating apps, rape children. And then you'll see why I do what I do because it's, nobody else seems willing to take up this baton. I don't know why it's become my lot, but here I am. Well, Michelle and I are there and this is why I'm working on the legal side of this, right? And I'm working on a book about the legal issues tied to dating apps because I... What are some of the legal issues that you go into if you don't mind, because I know you have a book. Oh, like, so, I mean, I'm, I'm working on some of the things you just mentioned, right? Like the violent crimes, rapes, murders, lies leading to health consequences, like STDs, now to some extent also COVID. Uh, I've written about and also work on in the book on the question of sexual fraud. So somebody had sex under false pretenses, right? Like thought you were not married and you're actually married. So I, I revenge porn. I mean, I sort of do the whole, you know, the whole overview of all the different and yet, and I'm not saying this to judge, I'm really just curious. I, I'm trying to find out the answer because I don't understand. And yet knowing all this and writing a book about it, you still 
encourage women to use dating apps? I am more in the position of taking it as a given right now that if you want to find a partner, as you've said, it is unfortunately one of the few ways to do so. I can tell you, I try to meet people through like meetup groups and other things in New York. Yeah, I did meet someone at an academic event that I went on to date for like a month or whatever. But for the most part, my experience has been that it's become very difficult to meet someone outside of the apps. Yes, you're absolutely right. This is the great conundrum. They've overwhelmed the landscape. And meanwhile, they continue to exacerbate the misogynistic tendencies of men that are already built into our culture. You know, I've had more than one woman who I've talked to about dating apps say to me, they've, these words strung together more than one time, they've said to me, they've ruined men. I mean, just think about that. And, and, and I don't think that that's like, I don't think that should make men like dating apps. I think that men should think about like, what do they mean? And how can I help so that I, that these women are not experiencing this in this way anymore. You know, like ruining men is not good for men either. But by ruin men, they mean they've made them less dateable, less someone that we can fall in love with and want to marry, even if they wanted to marry us. Because another thing that you see is in marriages today, there's still terrible uh, gender inequality in marriages in terms of house. See, I think that all of this... Dating and mating is like the central hub of where this is happening, but it's fanning out into everything that has to do with relationships between men and women in the heterosexual realm. Is it better? Like, do men do more housework? No, actually they don't. And if you're doing well as a woman and you actually make more than your guy, you're doing more, more, more housework and childcare than he is to, I guess, assuage his like hurt, fragile feelings that he's not making as much money as you or something. And we're still dealing with this stuff. We're still dealing with this. So I don't see that, you know, at a certain point, Sean Rad and all them tried to talk about how dating apps were feminist. Whitney Wolf tries to spin that, you know, lie a whole bunch. And it's just not true. Like I see no evidence of that. I see no evidence of that whatsoever. Oh, because women can have sex with men when they want to. Um, we've been doing that since the eighties. So I don't see how that liberated us. It just made men really less nice about it. So you have a daughter who's in her early 20s. And what's it been like watching her come of age during this dawn of the Tinder apocalypse? And what advice do you give to her and other young or not so young people out there when it comes to how they should handle dating today? I feel very lucky that... I was able to get onto what is really wrong with social media for girls around the time that my daughter would have gotten a phone. It just happened to be that in 2012, which is around the time a lot of people start talking about getting their kids an iPhone. Now it's even younger. Now it's like eight and 10, unfortunately. But around the time when those discussions were coming up in 2012, when my daughter was 12, that was when you started to see, when I started to see all of these stories in the news about there were there's isolated things about girls killing themselves over stuff that happened on social media bullying usually bullying non-consensually shared nudes i was very i was very upset about the 
suicide of Amanda Todd. I know, I know if you know who that is, she was a Canadian teenager killed herself because a non-consensually nude, non-consensually sent nude was shared. Yes, yes. And so that's when I started to do the article for Vanity Fair that became the book American Girls. And I started to think about all this stuff about girls and phones. And I just feel so lucky that that happened because I was able to, through my reporting, I was able to be a source for my daughter in terms of enlightening her and talking to her about what all of this was and what it could do to someone. And it wasn't like it was some kind of punishment on her or something like, you can't have a phone, you know, like it wasn't like that. It was, I wanted to protect her and not in an unreasonable way, in a very reasonable way. And if you look at the Facebook whistleblower, Frances Haugen, the information that she brought out in 2021, I think it was, it completely supports everything that was in my book, American Girls, because Facebook and Instagram, they did their own internal studies in 2017, a year after my book came out, asking like, well, is this true? And finding that it was, but they buried that all that evidence. So in other words, my daughter never had a phone. Uh, an iPhone or any kind of smartphone. She had a flip phone and that was perfectly fine for us communicating whenever we had to communicate and we weren't together, but she didn't have internet on her phone. She never got a dick pic. She was never bullied online. She wasn't on any social media. All these things that we started to see her friends going through throughout her middle school and high school years, she just didn't have to deal with any of that. I remember there was one point, and this gets into dating, she was at a party like a a high school party. I think she was kind of young, maybe 14 or 15. And a boy asked for her number. And she told him, well, I only have a flip phone, but sure. And then he didn't want her number anymore. And we, I remember we had a long conversation about that because, okay, what could that possibly mean that a boy wanted your number when you had an iPhone but he didn't want your number when you had a flip phone. What does that mean? What did he, what was he expecting would happen on the iPhone that couldn't happen on the flip phone? You know what I mean? So we had lots of interesting conversations along the way. So her awareness is, I think, very high. And that means that she's, I think, very aware of something coming at her that might not be something that she would want in her life. And I'm very happy about that. Now, I don't want to get into her personal life and her personal world because, you know, that's her business. But I'm just saying that, and this goes back to what you're saying about education. What I have tried to do in my talks around the country that used to happen more around American girls, so 2016, 17, 18, less now. But I just actually did just give one. What I've tried to do is to encourage, empower parents to have these conversations about social media with their kids. I no longer think conversation is enough though. I'm sorry, because it just hasn't changed things and things have only gotten worse. And the suicide rates and the anxiety rates and depression and loneliness. And you see like the medical institutions in our country are saying we have a teen health crisis. And this was even before COVID. COVID just made it worse. But we have a a child health crisis. You know, again, they can relate it to all different things. But more and more, they are seeing that this is caused by social media. It's just too much for them 
to be constantly out there in, in a public way and to be evaluated and, and judged and liked and numbers of likes and this and that. It's just, it's just not healthy for them. It's making them upset. It's making them sad. And some of it's making them suicidal and the bullying and the meanness. I, I mean, I've been to so many schools where a guidance counselor or a principal or a teacher, the, the two things they tell me, they have told me the most, they can't concentrate. They cannot concentrate. And two, they're meaner. I, I've heard this so much. It makes me sad. Like people have been in, in the education business for decades say kids are meaner now. It's not that they're meaner. Well, they are maybe meaner, but it's that they're on platforms which promote aggressivity. They're on platforms 10, 12 hours a day where the more aggressive and mean you are in your comments and your posts or whatever, the more you attract controversy for saying that snarky thing, the more likes you're going to get. So this is social conditioning. So long story short, my daughter never had a phone until she went to college, never had an iPhone until she went to college. And I don't think she has any, because of the education that she has gotten through me, I don't think she has any desire to be on a dating app at all. Like, I think that she's a rational person who has the education to look at it and say, well, how will this serve me? What are the pros and cons? Let me make my, she's a very rational person. And I think she, she just looks at her, her cost benefit analysis and says, this isn't going to get me the guy of my dreams or girl of my dreams or whoever a person may want. And it also might harm me. So she's just not on it. And I don't think most of her friends are. And this isn't because of me, because I haven't had conversations with them about it. But I just know that the people that she gravitates to in her life, the people she's more likely to be friends with are like those Luddite kids <laughs> in the Times yesterday. The kids are just like, I don't need your likes. And I think that's a strength. I do, that all parents can give their kids. Thank you so much for this amazing interview, Nancy Joe. You can find our guest on her website at nancyjosales.com or on Instagram at nancyjosales. All of that info and links to Nancy Joe's books and other works are in the show notes for this episode. this podcast please rate it five stars so that others have a chance to listen to it as well and make sure to subscribe so that you can get our future episodes all our platforms are accessible at strangersoninternet.com again that's strangersoninternet.com know the you can become a part of our community by joining the strangers on the internet facebook group or following us at swipe strangers on twitter instagram or mastodon where we are on the falsedon server with two s's I would like to thank my husband, Carlos Farini, for sound editing, as well as Vlad Kuyujuklu for permission to use his music for this podcast. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.